Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas. This week we are interviewing Haley and Cameron Cooper of Strange Bird Immersive. Woohoo! Woo! Woo! <laughs> We're very excited to be here. Yay! <laughs> welcome, Cameron and Haley. Now, again, we don't have Mike and Ruby here. Sorry, I can't. I think they're they're off. Doing all their wonderful... I think Ruby's just permanently in school now. She is. <laughs> She's, all she does is work and school, which is very sad. The only, last time we saw her was for her birthday, so yep. that was exciting. Yeah. But that was it. And mm. then she's back in the her nose to the grind trying to I think she's 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 designed she's like being looking into becoming an interior designer or something yeah, and her projects look really good yes and so <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to say this online but I'm going to what? <laughs> it's gonna make me sound like a horrible person but what? it was really fun because we were we heard Ruby laugh oh no <laughs> That does sound horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not that she doesn't laugh, she but does it was laugh. like it was super genuine because she got like a hundred percent on her course. Yeah, and so it was like it was a noise I've never heard her produce before. <laughs> <laughs> not that she doesn't laugh. I'm making her sound like anyway. We have guests. We do have guests, <laughs> and if, if Ru- hopefully Ruby doesn't listen to this. <laughs> She might not, but Mike will. And, <laughs> and husband and wives talk. Yeah, she'll play it for <laughs> them and then laugh. Oh, I'm in so much trouble. Anyway, yeah. we are super excited because Haley and Cameron have an escape room or an escape experience yes. out of Strange Bird of Immersive. And they do something that is very exciting for us because we've always wanted to combine the immersive theater and experienced with escape rooms and that's what they do in houston texas i do believe that where you guys are right correct yes so welcome we are crazy excited to talk to you today because this is we we would desperately love to come and see your we hear a lot of great things about it (laughs) we've heard a wonderful things about it and and we're not there so we can't do it because otherwise we would be there immediately if we could. And we're not just saying that just to butter you up. No, this no. is like totally exciting for us. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into anything else, why don't you tell us a little bit about your escape room? We call this experience um, a hybrid of immersive theater and escape room. So essentially you're coming from, you're, like once you leave our studio, you have an experience from both genres. So it's a complete experience. Um, there is a, you know, a, a timed portion where it's just you know, puzzle play, um, and then there's also integrated theater aspects to it where the audience is very present and part of the story. Yeah, it's, uh, it's called The Man from Beyond, and we built it around the life of Harry Houdini. So it has, uh, it has a bunch of magic to it and mystery. It proved to be a, a pretty fertile uh, ground for working in escape room. Magicians are always good. Oh yes, I saw your uh, trailer. That was that was very impressive. And so. Cameron has a, a very movie radio like sounding voice. <laughs> movie trailers. That was like amazing. <laughs> we should call you up if I need movie trailer voices. <laughs> um, no, the trailer was a lot of fun to make um, because that's kind of the story that happens before the game. That's that's kind of the setup, the background, and what draws you to Madame Daphne's séance parlor. Um, so essentially, the players arrive. The The only role play that we ask of them is that, that they want to attend a Houdini seance. So when people come through our door, we never mention the word escape room. We never talk about it being an escape room or anything like that. There's no training, no, no setup. Um, no lock tutorial. No lock tutorial. <laughs> yeah, that's a big pet peeve of ours. You know, we, um, we really want everything to kind of be as intuitive and as natural as possible. So the moment you open our door, the story begins. And that was a thing back in Houdini's day, right? Like after he died, there were many Houdini seances. Yes, it's actually been a tradition that's been going on for like over 90 years. Houdini actually battled against the mediums. Because right after World War One, there was a rise in spiritualism, as all the grieving families wanted to contact their lost sons, brothers, fathers. Houdini got really mad because essentially mediums were using tricks of magicians in order to like pretend, you know, that they were able to call forth ghosts. But of course, people ended up actually believing this was happening. So Houdini went on this whole crusade to like expose mediums to show everybody the tricks that they were using and how they're just essentially really sloppy magic. 
in a lot of ways. Some, some of the magic's really good and some of it's not so good. So when, when he died, there actually became a little bit of a tradition because he never, he never said explicitly that it wasn't possible to contact the great beyond. He just wanted to find the real thing. Yeah, exactly. He didn't want to find a bunch of fakes. He wanted to find, if it was real, uh, you know, someone who was doing the real thing. So when he died, he said, well, if anyone can get through, it'll be me. You know, so try a, <laughs> try a seance for me. And if I show up, then you'll know. Uh, so they've been, they've been trying for 92 years thus far. Uh, pretty much... Uh, on every every year on Halloween, there's a whole bunch of Houdini seances throughout the country. Yeah, he actually died on Halloween. It's um it's a really fun kind of occurrence. Um, so there's a bunch of Houdini nuts who actually get together and they hold two seances. They hold one seance that is quote unquote a real medium, where they like actually try to call him, and then they have another seance in which all the magic happens. Um, and that's more of a performance kind of seance where you do fun tricks and things like that in the dark, floating tambourines, all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, so this is, this is a, a real tradition that we kind of uh, hung the show on. Very cool. And you were saying that you started off without explaining what an escape room is. Does that cause any confusion or are, is everybody just cool with it? It actually, it actually works really well. Uh, we, we provide a little bit of guidance in our email after you book, but once you get into the game, it's not mentioned at all. Even the, the fact that you're trapped in a room and have a certain amount of time is explained not through the host, but through things in the room uh, inside the story. Very awesome. And we're going to get more into that for sure. But before we do that, um, both of you have a background in theater, correct? Uh, yeah, it's it's actually kind of unusual for for people with our background to get into escape rooms. You know, like I know a lot of designers get into it because they're interested in puzzles. Like they're really passionate puzzle people. Um, and then we have other people who get into it because they're passionate about set design. Um, people coming from the haunted house industry and that sort of thing. Or Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Where they really build amazing, fantastical worlds. And while we do have a background in set design and, and props and costumes and all that sort of fun stuff, really primarily Cameron and I began as actors and directors um, here in the Houston theater scene. With that kind of perspective, we're interested in, in telling a story, in creating right, right. Um, audience, having presence, having an action to take in the, inside the story, such that they're creating relationships with our actors. Um, that's what we're really passionate about, and it just kind of clicked that we wanted to bring it together with escape rooms. And were you enthusiasts of escape rooms before you decided to make one? When did you discover them, and uh, what are your favorite types? Uh, not not enthusiasts as uh, as we have them now, uh, because actually back when we started, there was only a, a couple of them around. Yeah, like we started um, in July 2015. And it took us, like, our official grand opening of the game was February 2017. So it took, it took quite a long time for us to build. And along the way, of course, we, we played as much as we could. I don't know if you tell the story about the, the origin of the company. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, so what inspired you to finally trek out and try and make your own? So, so Strange Bird Immersive is, is an immersive theater company. Um, and right now our first show is an escape room and we actually have plans to build a second escape room, but we, we were really interested primarily in this, in this notion of the audience being present within the story, um, having agency, having choice, having activity, even just eye contact and presence within a set can be really transporting. Um, so we started by going to, uh, sleep no more in New York city back in like 2013, I think. And, and we always love to really talk about shows after we've seen them, uh, analyze it from all the different angles. And after that show, I mean, it was such a different experience. I couldn't say anything. It, I was just dumbfounded. And I, and I knew that I didn't want to leave, you know? I was like, I became something really interesting in that space. Can I go back? Can I be that person again? It was just such a different transformative experience to, you know, I, I wanted to save a character. And, like, you have a relationship a little bit as, as you know, it, the story goes along, as the experience goes along, but you can't. You're kind of blocked. 
and and it was just very moving. Yeah, so we we went to we went to Sleep No More several times to be honest, uh, <laughs> and just really and really loved it. It it spoke to us. Uh, it did something that normal theater did not, which was really put us in the story, made us really a part of it. Uh, even though in Sleep No More you can't actually change anything, the experience itself is, is really under your control. And we, we saw that and we went to uh, Third Rails, Then She Fell, which is also New York. And that was a really important show uh, because Then She Fell is a much smaller thing than Sleep No More. It's, it's 15 audience members and half that many cast. It's in, much in a, more scalable outside of New York City. In a, in a much smaller space. And, you know, we'd been to Sleep No More and thought, well, that's really wonderful. It could never work in Houston or, you know, pretty much any, anywhere outside of a major tourist city like New York because it's just so big. But then she fell, kind of convinced us maybe we can do something that still works in immersive theater of a scale that will work you know, out in the provinces. Uh, regional theater. Yeah, regional theater, yeah, out, in the, the out in the regional theater <laughs> world. And at about that time, we also discovered escape rooms. The first one was opening in town. And we Maybe went- you've heard of it, trapped in a room with a zombie. Oh, we've heard of different versions of that, yeah. Yeah, we're pretty sure this is one of the licensed versions of it. Yeah, actually, it probably wasn't the first one in town. It was the first one we heard of. We also, so we went we went to that one. Of course, it's a very crazy game because you're being chased all over the, the room by a zombie. Gosh, uh, yes. And every, everything's broken because all the players are in a blind panic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, there's a, there's a direct correlation to, like, you being chased and things being broken. Like, I don't know how that game could ever not be broken. Um, you know, so we, we had a very confusing time in our first game, you know, like, like there were hasps on, on locks and things like that that weren't attached anymore. And then the game master would be like, no, 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 you need to solve it the right way. And we're like, but why? We can access this thing now, you know, which was just kind of a pet peeve of mine, actually. Like, you know, like let the players be like, whatever it is that they think that they can do to solve this, that's the right way. You got to control it to make. If you want it to be done a certain way, then you got to you got to fix that that hasp. But but of course we had a zombie in the room, and and he wasn't a character. You know, he wasn't somebody who had an arc or a backstory or anything. He was literally just a plot device. Oh, there's an arc. He want brains. He needs brains. I guess he has he has a goal, but he. Um... <laughs> But but the, but it was but the zombie was really terrific to interact with. Yeah. And so we you know we thought you know this mixes with immersive theater. It's you know they're still kind of distinct. But what if someone you know took the took the two things and, and kind of put them together? Yeah, I and mean, the greatest strength of both of the genres is that the audience is active. You know, it's not a passive experience. You're not in the dark. You're not in a seat. You are given, like, full range of your body. You are asked to engage in new ways. Like, those, those are things that both immersive theater and escape rooms share. Um, so we kind of thought that that was, like, the spine of the experience, and then see where we can go from there. Uh, and we had, some, we had a, a really great moment in our, our Trapped in a Room with a Zombie game. At the very end of the game, uh, we needed to leave the room... Uh, except the zombie was uh, had full access to the room, so we needed to figure some way to to get him out of the way. And we don't really know to this day what the you know sort of official solution to that is. I, and I'm not certain the zombie did and operate maybe, maybe with rules. Maybe there's not one. Who you know? knows? Uh, but one of our friends decided to start singing because uh, the zombie is supposed to be affected by sound. And previously we were just like beating on things, which you know didn't help the room at all. <laughs> uh, to, to try to distract him, but we we started singing. You are my zombie, my only zombie. You're you want fun. to eat brains because you're hungry. And the zombie lays down and goes to sleep because we're singing him a lullaby. <laughs> and we and and you know we all sort of tiptoe out of the room, <laughs> and we win. Uh, and we asked him afterwards. You know, is this how what we're supposed to do? He says, no, I've never seen that before. 
But it was just such a, it was such a great live moment. Yeah, emergent play, you know, between the actor and the, and, and the players. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that, that you can do when there are people involved and not just, mechanisms. you know, mechanisms and inanimate objects. Uh, so we, we sort of uh, took that as a good sign that, uh, you know, the escape room genre could play well with live performance. Speaking of singing. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, my, the, the first episode of this year, sadly, did not have a song because I've been so busy. I don't know if you guys like parodies or singing or anything <laughs> about escape rooms. Because we're always looking for people to sing. I'm always looking. There's always this big awkward pause after. <laughs> you can you can you can ask your next question. Oh, next okay. Question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Errol's. I should just put that in the in the post thing now. I'm all for it. Yeah. It's like if you want to sing a song, just send them to. Well, we think like escape rooms tend to be really weak um, in storytelling at what we call like Act One and Act Five, like the the inciting incident and the climax. Um, I completely agree with that. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know, you, I know you're you're really passionate about stories too, um, and how how can we do them in escape rooms? You know, and like you you arrive at an escape room and you're like. You know, the zombie apocalypse has taken over. And you're like, well, that must have been really interesting. You know, I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> but instead, you're just being told. You're not being shown the, the interesting turning point that in, in, inspires you as a player, whether you're role-playing or not, you know, to, to, to action, essentially. And, and we, just, we just feel like that's really weak make-beliefs. Like, skipping that doesn't get me into, like, means that I skip the transition from like who I am to the make-believe of the scene in a lot of ways. And, um, and then, of course, Act 5 is not just the climax of the show and of the story where, you know, real choices get made and, um, and there's a point of no return, but also that um, there's no denouement. Like, we were playing a game recently, you know, kind of classic, you know, find the cure and escape with the cure, and we found the cure. But we didn't get any kind of story closure. Like we were talking about how cool wouldn't it be if we were able to broadcast over the radio the the chemical for the cure, or if we were able to- Or to inject it into the air supply or something like that. So, so then that it like actually... gets through the atmosphere. So then we actually like hear a sense of, of the people that we're saving essentially, so that we really feel like we accomplished something important. Like those elements we feel like are often ignored in escape rooms. Um, and that's where we think that we are really, really strong is in the bookending, essentially, the game. Like really concentrating on act one, really concentrating on act five, which means, um, I mean, the actors really help with that tremendously. Yeah, yeah. We definitely think that that's the best way to, to go about doing that. You know, but it also means that you end up with a longer show as well, um, which we think is an asset because I think it makes for a more complete evening's entertainment, more a fuller experience than just a 60 minutes of puzzle play. Right, you mentioned it was, I think on your website it says it's 90 minutes total to two hours. Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on how fast your team is, um, or slow for that matter. I think most teams, I think our numbers are averaging around 100 minutes total from, from when you enter, you know, so that's including some of the, of the pre-show material, the scenes that we do before that. Um, yeah, if, if, you, if you take the full 60 minutes in gameplay, you end up being in our space about two hours. Oh, woo! That's a nice... That is fun. That sounds great. And it was really funny. We were doing an event, uh, The Puzzling Madness of Sir John A. MacDonald, and it was great. It was a... It was a... On, it was, sorry, it was an outside adventure puzzle event that's here in Toronto. And near the end, one of the actors was giving more of a cutscene. Yes. But because throughout the whole gaming experience, we had been interacting with all the actors, asking them questions, they were guiding us, we had to talk to them, try to coax information from them. By the time it got to him, and he wasn't really part of of us interacting with us, so he and he had never been in an escape room before. No, this was no. his first run of the show. So, so <laughs> while he was talking... 
we were talking at him as well because it seemed like he was talking to us and it really threw him off his game because it's like why, why are you interrupting me he, was it he he called for a line the poor guy now we were in a beta so it wasn't like it, he, yeah, yeah so it wasn't that it wasn't as bad but it was just so funny because he wasn't expecting us to talk back at him. It was funny watching him. He was he was very much like, okay, I'm in my space. Here's my scene partner. I'm connecting with her. I am making eye contact and people are talking at me. Why? What? Wait, what? <laughs> and we weren't just... we weren't making snide comments no, or talking no. about anything else. We were accusing him as we a character. We were accusing him as a character. <laughs> and throwing evidence at him. <laughs> and uh, just being like, here's why you're guilty. And, <laughs> and he was the poor guy. <laughs> But he, because he had never done it before, he was he was just not used to interacting with the audience like that. Right. Well, both both the actors and the audience need to to be conditioned for that. Uh, the actors, of course, can be conditioned in in training uh, and through experience, uh, but the audience can also be conditioned to accept that this is a, a scene that's no longer under their control. There's there's various cues that you can. Used to do that. I won't say we're. I won't say we're perfect at that yet, but like you know, we have full control over our lighting. So when there's a scene that you're supposed to pay attention to, the lighting changes. It's no longer the normal game lighting. It's a special look, and I think that uh, even though people don't always, you know, don't consciously notice, uh, you know, a cue like that, it does. It does kind of sink in and say this is something different that's happening now. But you know, it is. Whenever, whenever you have a, an interactive environment, you know that's that's an option that's on the table for people to to talk to the actors and and the show and the actors need to be ready for that. Yeah, our our script actually often, you know, poses questions either out loud or silently to the audience, and then kind of answers them. So we sort of think along with the audience and objections they may raise. Uh, and it's it's not it's not unusual for if an audience member asks a, a question or makes an objection to something uh, that was just said for the next line in the script to be a really good answer to that. We in our events we actually rarely have a script, and so we just give them a my, our poor actors. We give them a situation, and then we tell them, okay, you need to reach this point. The actor, the, the players just may interrupt, but this is the point we need to get to. <laughs> yeah, we have we have scripted bits like we have sort of the cut scenes, as you were mentioning, like I forget all my lines, though. So there's just no point in giving me the script. No. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we did for one of the events. <laughs> and, uh, any, but yeah, it is it is interesting to try and accommodate the how people will how people will interact with you and how they will just ignore whatever's going on and uh, how you might be able to control that. And for the most part, now do you find with your players uh, because they're getting a much more theatrical escape experience than say the average player, do you find that they, they might be a bit shy at first interacting with characters and then they warm up to it or are most of them like gung-ho ready to get into their own roles do you give them alcohol that <laughs> seems to help uh well we do we do actually Helps serve a much. cocktail um a complimentary cocktail upon entry really mm -hmm. oh. yeah we do um and we find that that does like i mean it opens people up you know i mean it loosens them up a little bit but it also just kind of like it, it begins from a place of wonder you know, like the like we actually like the moment people come through our door, just the space itself with the character there, we already kind of have them, and the way that that character is done, like we we believe very firmly in in a Meisner style of acting, um, and that immersive theater you can't be shouting to the back of the house. You need to be small. You need to be um, what Third Rail Projects actually says um, when they're directing is be blank, almost. Because the simplest little things can actually tell a lot about a person when you're in the room with them, when you're that close. And so we, we do our best to design all of the interactions in such a way that the audience never feels self-conscious. They're never under the spotlight. 
You know, if they want interaction, then there's opportunity for it. If they're shy of that, then they then that's okay. We can work with that too. Yeah, we we open we open with uh, our medium character, Madame Daphne, sitting at a desk in a very sort of normal way. So you can you can come talk to her or you cannot. Uh, but she mostly acts like a you know normal person there. Uh, so actually, I I think that we find that people mostly come in and are immediately comfortable if they're ever going to be. I mean, I'll I'll throw that over to to Haley to confirm or not. Cause she <laughs> works with those people, uh, being our our Madame Daphne. No, I think that's true. Uh, which is interesting. You would you would think that it might require a little bit of of warm up, but I think I think perhaps we. We just throw them in the deep end. Immediately, yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think people are really frightened whenever they hear, you know, interactive theater, immersive theater. Um, you know, the audience is going to be working on the same plane as the actors. That it's going to be... Um, I mean, I hate the term interactive theater because it has a bad reputation. It has a reputation for murder mystery dinner theater, where you're given a card that says, you are Lola the lingerie designer. You know, that's me. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, and these are the things that, you know, and the things that you will like, like and dislike. And that's your character card, you know. And meanwhile, all these extreme wacky characters come up to your table and interaction begins. I, I, I hated that. I hated that. <laughs> I, I clearly was traumatized by the one time I went to murder mystery dinner theater. But I just felt so self-conscious the entire time. And I, and I think that also had to do with the actors being big. With the tone of the thing being, you know, very farcical, very shticky. And that's kind of the opposite of what immersive theater's tone is in most of the productions that are popular right now, is it tends to be serious. It tends to be, you know, there's something at stake here. We are taking this as, as a truth. Let's all make believe inside of this realistic world. I'm going to say this. I'm an extrovert, so now I'm just speaking like I ha- I have no idea what an introvert thinks. So I'm just going to say something, and I could be completely wrong. I will correct you. If yeah, you're you wrong. will. There we go. <laughs> but I think a lot of the roles that our actors tend to take in our escape events tend to be normal roles that you may interact with in real life, and that might make it easier for the players to interact with them. For example, if it's a waiter and you need to talk to the waiter for some reason, mm-hmm. then you would interact with them and say, hey, I'd like to get this, or yeah. or whatever. Or if it's someone, as opposed to like a gregarious character. Now, I always play insane characters, but yes. I think <laughs> some, some of the other people don't play insane characters. Actually, you haven't. You've played very normal characters anyway oh it's true i once i played the piano person and all they did was just request a song and uh, i wasn't crazy there i think what like and and you guys touched on it is that you really with with immersive theater and that you really leave it up to the audience member or the player right if they want to get more involved they can get more involved if they don't they don't have to and if they want to just be themselves they can just be themselves they don't have to take on some insane character role in which they have to remember their motivations and everything right. <laughs> um it's just it's them and they're there and it's it's much more organic that way Oh, and we're actually really passionate about like not put, giving them too much of a role play. So then their choices are organic. Like the things that they do be are them as themselves. Um, so that when we ask them questions, they don't have to think, oh, what would my character respond as? They just give their honest answer. And and like one of the kind of projects that we're really excited about with immersive theater is this whole notion of like you you get to become an extraordinary person inside of this show. You know, maybe you can bring that home. Maybe that's your take-home souvenir, is, is the memory of who you were in that situation. So, like, if you're more like yourself in the piece rather than playing a role, then I feel like that leads to a little bit more of the kind of learning that we're interested in doing. But we have found that people actually kind of want to go a little bit further than that. Yeah, like, we, we, we had some tricky questions in the show, that we thought had easy answers, but actually they they ended up conflicting with the role with the little role play that we had given them. Oh, really? <laughs> it it was weird. It was really weird. We were just like, how can they be saying that? Because that's not the tr- the truth, but it is kind of the role playing truth. And and yeah, it was it was it was interesting. We won't go into that. 
What if they find out they're horrible people? <laughs> well, that's a learning experience. Well, yeah, we, we, see, we, we, we occasionally see a horrible person come through. One of the things we learned during our, our one of our events is that we actually give give the give the players a chance to be bad and then they really rise to the occasion. Then it becomes Lord of the Flies. It does. Yep. <laughs> yes. We we've ac- we've actually been pleasantly surprised at how well behaved people are actually. Uh, <laughs> oh great. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had one player once who was really interested in just being Madame Daphne's antagonist. Um, and and he just like really committed to it at this fantastic level, and and then and that just required me to really commit to it too, in in a way that I found really fulfilling at the end of the day, you know, like how would my character respond to this situation? I think when Manda was a character, where all she did was berate people, she loved that, right? But, yes. <laughs> But it, it must be. It, um, I was actually going to ask, like, so you essentially do. You're you're Madame Daphne, and so you're essentially doing three theater shows almost every day or most days. Does that get exhausting at all? Or I'm sure it's tiring as an actor. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Um, I mean, I count myself very lucky because I mean, here I am in Houston as an actor, but I'm in a long running show. You know, um, I've done like over 200 of these, which most people don't get that kind of relationship with a role unless they're in New York City. And you get paid, probably. Huh? Probably. <laughs> no, we, 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 pay, we pay our actors. Um, it's, it's the other aspects of what we're doing that are, you know, harder to, to pay for the, for the year and a half that we spent building it. But as, a, as an actor, it's, I, I mean, I think I would feel trapped if I were in a regular show. Because I would have the same scene partners and they would do the same things that drive me absolutely up the wall every single day. <laughs> and and, and I just go bonkers, you know, because it's too much the same. But with, with the man from beyond, my scene partner is the player. Every single day. You have day, no idea what they're going to do. It's new. It's so new. And whatever it is that they're giving me, it's always something that takes me by surprise. You know, I mean, as actors, we always love to make the audience laugh. In immersive theater, the audience can make me laugh. They can do surprising things to me. And, and I just love whenever that happens. So I'm, I have a new scene partner every single show. Eight, eight of them, actually. But it, it, is, it is more hours than an actor would generally be called upon to do if, you know, if we're doing three shows on a Saturday. In fact, we, we limit ourselves to three shows in a day just because at the moment we have only one Daphne. And, you know, doing four of them ends up being, you know, a 10-hour shift or something. That's just too much. Uh, so we're, we're, we're hiring more cast. I did see your audition notice on your site. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, um, we're definitely in training. We've got additional cast members. You know, we're beginning to, to expand also the performances that we offer. Um, we've been trying to limit it, the number of shows that we offer, um, until demand is such that, you know, nobody likes, you know, getting that phone call that, you know, we can't make the show tonight because only two people booked or whatnot. Yeah, so we we try to we try to keep a you know the show at the size for which it's designed, which is tough sometimes, uh, and you know it's it's also kind of a heavy duty show to run. You know, it's a logistical and organizing challenge sometimes. But you were mentioning before that you like it when the the players make you laugh. Though sometimes I would wonder you might need to not break character or maybe. It allows for because usually my goal in an escape room, if there are actors, is to make is to make all the actors' corpse as much as possible. I look forward to hosting you, Errol. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the great the great thing is we can we can respond in character. I mean, it's it's not it's not wrong for Madame Daphne to laugh if someone does something ridiculous. She has a place where the script wants her to be, but you know you can. You can take what they give you. Most most of the actors I've I've been with, they kind of they're <laughs> they don't corpse. They have this moment where they look terrified <laughs> because this man is not leaving them alone. Right. right. Well, well I mean, and that's that's part of the problem too. When like you leave the actor in the room during the gameplay, 
in in some way, which I think is kind of traditional, like from what I understand, I mean, we've played a few rooms with actors in them, um, is that like the actor is there and the puzzles are there together, you know, and sometimes the actor wants your attention and um, at the same time that there are puzzles available. And we don't really think that that's acceptable. Like that leads to a peer pressure for the players to give the actor attention when they want to be puzzling. Or it leads to the root situation of ignoring the actor and paying attention to the puzzles. But either way, you kind of feel like torn, right? It also leads to a, I find it leads to a narrative um, problem, which is why doesn't this character help out if it's so urgent that this puzzle gets solved as well? Yes, yes. We have a very long list of the reasons why the character wouldn't help out. (laughs) Well, as long as you have a huge background, especially if you ever have Scott Nicholson come and play your game, because then he's going to start asking you all sorts of questions about your character, and you have to know it. And he, he did that to me once, and and I realized I didn't read part of the script, so I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> so I, I made, was so ashamed. I made something up on the spot that conflicted with what Mando was saying. Oh no. You know, I don't know is also an answer. <laughs> You're just a station guard. <laughs> it's not like you had to know everything. <laughs> and that was the excuse I gave Scott. I'm like, oh, God, is he telling fake stories again? To the- <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. Oh, did you say that? Yeah, yeah. He makes things up. You could have yeah. just said that. I, I was like, I wouldn't trust anything That guard says. has been drinking. <laughs> yeah. like- well, one, one of the great things about being a long-running thing like ours is, is that we've probably had a lot of those questions already and have practiced responding to them. You know, someone will come up with something new every night. Uh, so we, like, we, have, we have a lot of canned responses for things that only happen occasionally just because they happened once and we thought about them. Oh, I gotta come up with something new. Yeah, well, I, I actually really like that opportunity, though. Like, like, as actors, we're used to not wanting to go deep with your character and knowing all the details about them fleshing them out as full people but in like the immersive interactive environment sometimes your backstory can become the story like if somebody asks just the right question like somebody asked me recently um you know asked Daphne why are you doing Houdini seances when Houdini was against them and and I was like yeah I was just like oh oh my gosh you just hit upon everything this entire show is about and I can't wait you know um that's what I'm saying in my head you know my response is of course something that's coming from the character coming from the world I'm you know I uh, the world makes that much sense that there is an answer to that question you know somebody asked me recently why my why my hawk was named Walter and I had a story behind that too um, so like it's it's it, like you can kind of answer those questions if you have a really deep world. Yes, Manda spends long times a long time writing up the background for every character. So I feel your excitement when somebody asks about it because then it's like, oh my gosh, you've just hang on, hang on, I've got notes. No. Uh- <laughs> well, one of our and I think we mentioned this in one of our podcasts, but one of our actors, she was. She was diligent in her research. She asked every question on the planet about her character. And then Manda would come to me. Yeah, why did she do this? I'm going, I I don't know. (laughs) It's like, well, we need to think of a reason or we need to get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, because she's a bad guy. That's why. I don't know. Well, that, having knowing knowing why things are happening is it leads to a lot of great stuff in development of the story as well as the. The performance, I mean, it's like, uh, it's the Tolkien effect, right? If you know everything about what happened before, it's going to be rich, even if uh, people don't know all of those details, you know, in what's presented. You just, it develops things. It's great. So I would also assume that with your escape room and with the narrative that you've developed, players, any one group probably only sees 10% of, of the rich backstory there that is there. Yeah, you you generally don't see all you you wouldn't know all of the backstory, although some of it's you know some of it's pretty obscure. Yeah, I, I, you get you get most of what's important though. <laughs> Manda, you gave a story talk. I think this was you. You're talking about like the things that like everybody needs to know for the story. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and then things that they like that's like fun to know. 
you know, that they can search after. So we definitely make sure that the, the players get that full story, the, the need to know, so that everybody has the same story experience at the end of the game. Um, but there's a lot of extra details where if you're at the right you know, puzzle or interaction point, you get more than other people who maybe aren't at that puzzle or interaction point. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, not everyone's going to read every letter in the room. Uh, So you'll, you'll know more or less depending on what you do, but that's sort of nice details. I mean, if you're, if you're a real completionist, you know, you'll, it might drive you a little bit mad, crazy, (laughs) but that's, uh, that's how it goes. (laughs) <laughs> That's how it goes. Like, like one of the unique things that we're trying to do with Strange Bird is, is like kind of really blur the make believe with the reality, you know? Because like Madame Daphne's is taking place in 2018 in Houston, Texas, you know, at the building that we're located at, and it just so happens that something incredible happens while you're there. You know, so that's kind of what we want to do with our other stories is that they're really present. They're not, you know, somewhere else. And that that creates a lot of constraints, but that's, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that we're that we're interested in working within. Yeah, like we have we have a character in the story who is actually a, a locksmith owns owns a key shop in the Heights here in Houston. Um, You know, and he leaves a business card behind and we often get players who are like, is this real? Did, <laughs> did they not clean up their room? Or, or I know him. Yeah, or they're like, oh, Reed's Key Shop, yeah. But is this, is this real or is this part of the game? You know, and... And, and it's both. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the real is like they think that we made a mistake or something like that. No, it makes total sense. It's almost a little bit like... When you do ARGs or transmedia mm-hmm. kind of games where you mix reality with fantasy and it brings you further into the immersion. You know, it's like telling a lie, buried in a truth, and then everybody believes everything. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I want to know, like, you're probably very unique in in combining immersive theater with escape rooms. Unless you know, I would... I would assume that you probably looked around to see if there are others so you could like, you know, discuss this because it's a it's an interesting branch of escape rooms and one I personally think would be awesome to have more of. So I don't know if you know of more of them or if currently you are only aware of you doing it. There's there's not there's a few that well, actually there's only really one other that really says they're immersive theater and escape game. And that's uh, Paradiso. Oh, yes, yes. They're, they're the only ones who like think that it has a selling point. There are a number of other games that have actors in them to varying degrees. You know, and sometimes it's a game master in the room. And sometimes it's a game master in costume in the room. And then sometimes it's an actor. I know, I know Zoe out in, um, I, I think it's L.A., isn't it? I think it's L.A. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely in the same kind of territory as us. Uh, Casa Loma. Yeah, you guys know Casa Loma. What are they like? (laughs) They do have actors play, like they hire actors who play characters in the room with you and they they very much act, Errol can say, but... uh... Uh, I think in regards to Casa Loma, they're the one of the few rooms in here that employ employ actors, which is great. But I sometimes find, depending on the game, their actors are more guides than they are actors and then sometimes but it depends on the game so sometimes they will do these cutscenes, but in between the cutscenes, you don't really interact with them they're just there until their cutscene comes does that make sense absolutely yeah Yeah, that's and that's one of the tricky things about integrating actors into the into the game you have to find something for them to do during most of the time. Whereas in one of their other games where I think they're they're building characters more so that the players have to interact with them while they're playing the game and, and it becomes more of an interaction and engaging with the actors. And so that's more their later games. They are doing that. And I, I've enjoyed their later games because of that. Now we have to engage with the characters as opposed to just waiting, as opposed to them waiting around. Okay, it's time for my scene. Right. 
Yeah, we, we, we would actually like to, like to know how games with actors in the room do that well. Uh, because in our next work, that's one of the options that's on the table, is to have the actor continuously present, which is not what we do uh, right now. And we, we kind of figure that if they're going to be there, they need to be part of the game and not just sort of waiting around for you. And exactly how they become part of the game uh, is what we'd like to know. We're actually about to to set off on a on a research trip to the New York area to to see some of these games that do have actors in them, so we can uh, learn from them. We treat our characters like Westworld does, I think, whereas they're they're characters in the game, and they all have conversations about the world they're in. You're looking at me like you have no idea what no, I'm, I'm talking about, thinking, Mad Pants. No, I'm just thinking. No, no, no. I agree with you. No, I was just thinking. About other things too. Oh, okay. About other things. Well, about our for games. instance, we our players, the roles that we usually give them are ones in which they have to be clandestine in a way, which means that we don't have to require our actor characters to help solve the puzzles because they're you know the players themselves are trying to keep that secret from them. Oh no, that's a good one. That's usually the way it goes because uh, and they have to act normal in front of the actors because. You know, they're trying to get information out of them without being too obvious about it. So our player, our characters, our actors are doing their normal jobs within the game that they're in. So in our last game, they were um, part of a museum train a historical um, site and they would do their job. So either taking tickets or, or showing them around the, the area or guarding. And then the players would interact with them as normal, even as simple as like, how do I get to the bathroom or anything? Yeah. <laughs> so they 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 took on both parts. Yeah. Oh, and that's good. Actors actors want to do something, you know, not just like deliver text or something like that. They want to have things that they do. Yes. Yes. That is that is very true. <laughs> You know, and, and same thing with, with, with the audience, you know, because like in, a, in this sort of environment, the, the audience is essentially actors. They do things. They are acting in, in, yeah. in that way. And everybody's just happier if they have something to do other than just sit around and look at each other. Which is one of the things that makes the, the game part of the escape game, uh, you know, work is that you always have something to do. So you can't become too self-conscious about where you are because you're very involved in trying to figure out this thing one of the reasons and i think i've mentioned this many times before but when we did escape of the bank the reason that we wanted to do our events is because they had all these hint givers around just giving hints but all dressed up in costume dressed to the nines like <laughs> and it didn't and it didn't make sense why they were there giving us hints and and that's it so if they were actual characters within the world we were in that would have been amazing. And that's why we started to do what we wanted to do, because we wanted to make these characters that you could engage with. Yeah, no, I think we're, we're definitely coming from the same place. It's like this industry, I mean, it began as, you know, puzzle games, puzzle rooms. And then, you know, they started getting a little bit more elaborate and a little bit more themed. From there, um, now everybody's selling their rooms as these like cinematic adventures in which you are the hero. And I always read about these fantastic scenarios, like the way that everybody is selling it is the same. But then so many people end up, you know, just, just doing a themed puzzle room, essentially. And if you want to go beyond that, that's, that's when you start getting into true immersion. That's when you start getting into, well, this room needs to make sense. We need to, to ask why. We need to see, um, you know, who set up these puzzles and why would they do such a thing? I think... I liken it to like adventure games mm. where when you first and I'm, I'm thinking all the way back to the text games like in Zork and when you're playing and you're going around searching for treasures and then there are creatures. There's a thief. There's a troll, but you don't really interact with them. You just fight them and then they come in and out willy nilly. You don't really know. And then eventually as the games became more as the games became more um, advanced, more complicated, then you got into the mystery games where now you actually had to interact with the characters. Now you could watch where they're going. Now you could see them travel from room to room and they all had motives and it was, and it, and it became more exciting. And the same happens with adventure games. Once you, be, once you had characters to interact with in, in an adventure game, it became more exciting for me because mm -hmm. then they, 
then you could like manipulate them. Well, no, that's not the exciting part. <laughs> that's for you. Well, it just makes the world a lot richer, you know? I mean, yes, the world is inhabited with people. I, I, I would like the escape rooms to, this is just a side note, but I would like escape rooms to get to the point where video games get to where you just have different genres. You can have the more narrative driven rooms. You can have puzzle rooms. You can have physical oh, I think it's going rooms. there. It's I think it is there. going there. Yeah. It's just that the, the delineation is not there yet. The so delineation people... isn't there and there's not enough narrative rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we just need to figure out some way to to describe that really. there's mm. There's really not a lot of differentiation in the marketing of these games even though they are they are different i think that would be a good sign of maturation in the industry uh, if i could figure out kind of what you're actually going to give me instead of just having to to discover it when i get there so do you get a lot of enthusiasts out your way do they have expectations are they how, what has their, I don't know if you know many of them or the, the reception that you get from those people. I mean, we're those people, but you know. <laughs> yeah, enthusiasts love us. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think because we, we're offering something completely different. Uh, I mean, it's not completely different, you know, and, and our gameplay, we're, we're actually really, really proud about our game. We haven't talked too much about that. Um, but the actual kind of puzzles and the style of our, of our game is, is unique too. But the whole package together is just something that they that they that hasn't been done um, for their for them before. Um, that's certainly something that always you know enthusiasts always enjoy is seeing something new. Very much so. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we I don't know we, we we get all types. I mean, we do have people that you know drive in to to see us, but we also get people for whom this is their very first game. It's it's actually kind of hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> but you, as you said, you don't you don't uh, advertise as an escape room. You do advertise more as immersive theater, right? We we're, we're both. Yeah, we're we're both. Well, I know we, you're both, so I don't know how you advertise. We we, ad, we advertise mostly as an escape room because if we tried to sell ourselves as immersive theater, no one would come uh, because okay. <laughs> no one no one knows what that is. Like, people know what escape rooms are, which is actually uh, really helpful because people can go looking for that on Yelp and find us. And there's really not a lot of traffic of people, especially in in Houston, looking for immersive theater. Uh, at the same time, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, we're, we're link number one on, on Google if you search for immersive theater Houston. Uh, but there's a lot of lot of escape rooms in town, you know, that we're competing with. But we, uh, no, we definitely do sell it as uh, as an escape room. We think that's uh, and and it is. It is very much an escape room. It's just also more. Yes, you know, you know what I noticed when I was looking through your website, and you may have changed this, but I couldn't find your blog, and it's a really good blog. Mm. Is that available off of Strange Bird of Mercy? I think it's on our header. Yeah, there's actually a link in the at the very top of the page. Uh, okay. But we should maybe make that more obvious somewhere. Yeah, thanks for that feedback. Uh, no, I mean, I was looking like maybe like last year, so I could have just missed it. But I remember wanting to find it because I wanted to link an article somewhere. And I was going, Where, where's that blog? I know it's here somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, so um, immersology is essentially looking at it from the creator's point of view. Because I know that there are a lot of people who are looking to, to get into the immersive entertainment industry. And, you know, what, what I would give for, you know, the, the logs of what, you know, Third Rail projects went through in their, in their iterations of Third Rail, or of, of Then She Fell. You know, so I found that it was it would be helpful, like not just for the industry, but also for myself to like be chronicling a lot of the things that we're learning about how to interact with audience members in this way. Yes, and you give a, a lot of great theory, a lot of great background, a lot of great resources for people who are looking to pursue an immersive theatrical escape event as well. So. Uh, I do enjoy that blog. I, I haven't read it in a while, though, but I do anything that I find, I, I do like. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully if you go to the Immersive Bird website, Strange Bird, I don't know what it's called anymore. <laughs> Strange, strangebirdimmersive.com. Yes. 
then you Links can find immersology.com. Yes. Yes. Ah, fun. Now, what do you think? Uh, this is going to be probably one of my last questions. We're kind of coming up on time here. What do you think that the the theater world can learn from escape rooms? Everything. Every- <laughs> <laughs> Apart from everything, something more specific, maybe. Oh man, um, <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> well, I, giving giving the audience the right to exist. I mean, let me be clear, you know, if I have ever have to leave Strange Bird, I am not going back to the stage. No way in hell. Um, and, and I've been acting since I was 10 because it's just such a great, phenomenal animal. You know, like we are, we are servicing, um, we are hosting people younger than us, um, people finally in our age demographic. You know, and when I go to the theater, at least in Houston, you're looking at a bunch of, of really white hair. And, and I don't really, and they're there to, to get like, I guess, mind candy or something like that. Like some interesting idea and then they chew upon it and it feels very, very cold, the whole experience. Um, and if it's not like that, then it's usually something like the odd couple where it's like way too old and no longer relevant. You know, and escape rooms are exciting people because they are free to, to do things, to make choices. And I think that's a great way where if we can really harness it to the arts, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an actor to tell a story, but, you know, I think story is what elevates this from, from a fun night gaming to an art form, um, something that people can really chew on afterwards. You know, that, that would be really great. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the things that, uh, that I've learned in doing this is that you really can direct what people will do by the construction of your space and what you do. Uh, like we will we'll observe certain behaviors that are very consistent. And, you know, if it's a behavior that we don't like, sometimes we can make one tiny change in an object or what we say, and it'll basically, you know, change the percentage of occurrence of that behavior from 90% one way to 90% the other. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting what, they call them affordances in usability design. It's really interesting what affordances can do. Uh, and I, I think that's, uh, you know, traditional, traditional theater can make use of that in that if you really can pay attention to how the audience is reacting to something, uh, you know, you can change that with just a, a little small thing, but it's also really important for uh, immersive theater mm. because in immersive theater, you want people to, to go places and to look at things and sort of by knowing that by careful observation of the audience, you can really change what they do via certain details in, in your set or how the actors work. Uh, is, is really is really important and you know we've, we've never been on the inside of sleep no more they probably know know that back and forth uh, but for people who are just starting out that's that's a really uh, a really good thing to know we're all just puppets <laughs> pretty yeah 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 yeah, yeah in, in the hands of a good designer <laughs> mind <Yes>. you <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been super fun, and I wish we had more time to to talk. I could definitely talk for like another two hours, but I don't want to have to edit that. So. <laughs> and I have to pick up my kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. he has to pick up his kid. Else <laughs> he'll get mad at me. Other reasons again. like that. <laughs> so if, if people wanted to find you, where, where can they go? We would encourage people to go to our website, strangebirdimmersive.com. You can also type it a little shorter at strangebird.co. And you can go uh, read Haley's blog at immersology.com. We have a a nice little uh, artist studio near downtown Houston, Texas, although we may be moving to to larger digs uh, sometime in the future uh, to be determined, but it won't be too far away. Yeah, and then and then of course you know like let us know when you come. Um, we love we love hosting people who are who are traveling to to our city um, to experience something unique. And we love meeting people who are passionate about any of the things that we've been talking about. 
It's a great community that we've been creating around escape rooms. Oh, I know it's scratched the surface, but I'm I'm be very excited to play your room, and I hope that I can't wait to see what you guys come up with next. You mentioned projects down the line, and if you're in Toronto, we're here. Yep. So just give <laughs> us a call. Yes, and and if you ever do come through a man from beyond, Errol, we've got we've got nine chairs in that room, so you have your your pick of the lot. <laughs> I've 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 kind of upgraded though to more credenzas and Oh, and oh okay. All right. <laughs> we got a couple of those we too. Have a, yeah, we have, yeah. We have at least one credenza. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If ever anyone needs to summon Arrow, they'll just put a couch in and the popcorn. center of the room. Oh, popcorn. <laughs> popcorn. popcorn makes me happy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, we've got we've got a fainting couch. That one's pretty popular. Oh, I am there for fainting. There we go. Oh, I'm swooning. Catch me, Manda. Oh, what? <laughs> I don't want to see you swoon. Okay. Okay. You can talk us out, my okay, pants. Okay, I'm gonna talk us out. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also go to Facebook and click the like button and email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. We love getting emails. And if you'd like to send us a song or song ideas, please message Errol. He's desperate yes, and lonely. Yes. <laughs> Very lonely. <laughs> and, um, and if you go to Twitter and use the hashtag redivas... You can mention us there. Okay. Sorry, Earl's making weird faces. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye.